Hey everybody, it's Jake Heller back again for another episode of Jake's Take. Happy Friday. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. I appreciate all of your support on the Jake's Take podcast page. As I always say, be sure to tell your friends all about it. Click that like button. So much to cover on today's show. A recap of this past Sunday's NASCAR Cup Series race at the Daytona Road Course. A preview of the final doubleheader weekend of 2024, the NASCAR Cup Series, this weekend at Dover International Speedway. Five races in three days at Dover starting today. And even though it's the month of August, this coming Sunday, it's the Indianapolis 500. Can you believe that? What a crazy year this has been. So obviously, besides all my NASCAR picks, I'm going to have to give my pick for the Indianapolis 500 as well. And of course... Best Dover Moments in NASCAR Cup Series History. So to kick things off, this past Sunday at the Daytona International Speedway, the infield road course that is usually used for the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona was used this past Sunday in place of Watkins Glen International, where they were supposed to be at at the beginning of 2020. And to no surprise whatsoever, Chase Elliott was the victor. This was the eighth win of Chase Elliott's career, but his fourth, fourth in the last six races on road courses in the NASCAR Cup Series. That is amazing to think about in itself. Half of Chase Elliott's wins in the NASCAR Cup Series, they have come on road courses. The very first one, Watkins Glen in 2018, he defended his title in 2019, and if they would have been there this past Sunday, Watkins Glen, no doubt he probably would have won that one as well. And of course, he did win at the Charlotte Roval September of last year, even after wrecking down in turn one and going into the tire barriers. And this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course, four out of the last six. That is mind-boggling in itself. And of course, the other races in between, like I said, he had a shot at Sonoma this this past year. The only car that really was able to run with Martin Trex Jr. before the engine blew up. It's astonishing to think that Chase Elliott, a kid from Georgia that grew up on short tracks, to think how great he really is at road courses. Just to put this in perspective, folks, his father, Bill, awesome Bill from Dawsonville, 44 wins in the NASCAR Cup Series, that 1988 NASCAR Winston Cup Series championship. Bill Elliott only had one win on road courses, and that was the very first of his career, November of 1983 at Riverside, California. Chase Elliott wasn't born until 1995, and Bill stepped down from full-time competition at the end of the 2003 NASCAR Winston Cup Series season. After he stepped down, there were two drivers that Chase Elliott looked up to and pulled for a lot before getting his chance with Hendrick Motorsports in 2011. And those two drivers... One of them, obviously, his teammate, Jimmy Johnson, but the other one, Tony Stewart. Why do I mention Tony Stewart? Until this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course, Tony Stewart was the last driver to have won three consecutive road course races in the NASCAR Cup Series. Watkins Glen, 2004, and he swept the road course races in 2005 at Sonoma and Watkins Glen. Very, very elite company for Chase Elliott. So you're probably wondering, how is it that Chase Elliott is so good on road courses, especially being 24 years old? I mean, he already has four road course wins to his name. Jeff Gordon, he pretty much 
took over Jeff Gordon's car after he retired from full-time competition at the end of 2015. Jeff Gordon, like I said last Sunday, the greatest road course driver in NASCAR Cup Series history. Nine road course victories. Four at Watkins Glen, five at Sonoma. At this age, at 24 years old, I would not be surprised one bit once Chase Elliott's career is all said and done if he is the all-time wins leader in the NASCAR Cup Series on road courses. So obviously, Hendrick Motorsports, they have always had phenomenal road course cars, whether it was the late great Tim Richmond, whether it was Jeff Gordon, even Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson had a win at Sonoma in 2010. It's Part of it is having great equipment. Part of it is talent. We all forget Chase Elliott, his very first win in the NASCAR Truck Series back in 2013. It was on a road course, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park. Granted, he knocked the crap out of Ty Dillon the last corner, but like we always say, a win is a win. So absolutely amazing to think that Chase Elliott is without a doubt the best driver in the NASCAR Cup Series when it comes to road courses. He ties Martin Trex Jr. and Kyle Busch for the most Road course wins in the NASCAR Cup Series among active drivers with four. Taking a look at the top 10 finishers this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course, Denny Hamlin overcoming an early tire rub to finish second. His teammate Martin Trex Jr. overcoming a pit road speeding penalty to finish third. Jimmy Johnson, a much, much needed top five finish in fourth. All of that experience at the 24 hours of Daytona definitely paid off. Chris Buescher. Chris Buescher with a top five finish. How freaking awesome is that? A lot of people forget that Chris Buescher, the very first nationwide win of his career, it was in 2014 at Mid-Ohio, a road course. Chris is a very, very underrated talent, but especially on road courses. Clint Boyer, he has always been great on road courses. He finished sixth. Kaz Grala, that's right, Kaz Grala in his NASCAR Cup Series debut Filling in for Austin Dillon, who had tested positive for COVID-19, Kaz Grala came from the back of the field to finish 7th. 7th. I read something later that night on Twitter. The last time that the number 3 got a top 10 finish on a road course in the NASCAR Cup Series, sure enough, it was the late great Dale Earnhardt Sr. at Sonoma in June of 2000. William Byron, another decent road course driver. He finished 8th. Joey Logano, ninth. And Michael McDowell, I told you guys how awesome of a road course driver he is. He rounded out the top 10. So, getting back to Kaz Grala. Last Saturday morning, Richard Childress Racing, they did announce that Austin Dillon had tested positive for COVID-19. And they put Kaz Grala in the number three Chevrolet for the race at the infield road course on Daytona. Just to put this in perspective, the last driver to score a top 10 finish in his NASCAR Cup Series debut was Carl Edwards, August of 2004 at Michigan, finishing 10th. Ironically, when Jeff Burton left the 99 car to go drive for Richard Childress Racing. An amazing job by Kaz Grala, and hopefully, like I said, starting at the very back of the field, finishing 7th, hopefully, hopefully he can get a full-time ride come 2021. He definitely showed his talent and potential this past Sunday. So Austin Dillon, thankfully yesterday evening, he did announce on Twitter that he has had two negative COVID tests in a 24 hour span. So he has been cleared by NASCAR to return. He will be in tomorrow's race at Dover International Speedway. 
Now, while it was a great day for Chase Elliott, while it was a great day for Denny Hamlin, Martin Trex Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Chris Buescher, Kaz Gorilla, obviously, it was a rough day for some of the heavy hitters in the NASCAR Cup Series. You look at Brad Keselowski. Brad is a decent road course racer. He is great at Watkins Glen. He has struggled at Sonoma throughout his career. Very, very good at the Roval. Should have won the inaugural race there in 2018. Came close in 2019. But for Brad, this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course, he definitely had a top five car. But he blew through the chicane not once but twice. And it's like Sean Rosansky said to me during the race, he's like, what is, he's like, what's going on with Brad? That's twice that he has blown through the chicane. And the second time that it happened, I mean, luckily the first time it was only three or four laps into the race. It only cost him a few spots. But when it was later in the race and he blew through the backstretch chicane, he had to come down pit road, fix those tires because they were flat spotted. He fell all the way back to about 35th or 36th. And 13th was the best he was able to get back up to. Our championship leader, Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick started the day on the pole. Even though he ran the 2002 24 Hours of Daytona, Kevin even said going into that race, he said, I'm going to be going down into turn one and have no clue where the hell I'm going. And Kevin didn't even lead that first lap. Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch, they blew past him pretty quickly. But it still looked like he was on track for a top five finish, and he got spun out not once but twice. The first time by Christopher Bell as they were going into the horseshoe turn. And I thought for sure, as soon as Kevin Harvick spun out and was sideways, I thought he was going to come right back on the track and possibly take out Brad Keselowski and several other cars. Miraculously, Kevin's car just sat there and people were splitting him left and right. Thankfully, no pileups whatsoever compared to the Xfinity race the day before. But then, you know, having a fight from the very back of the field, fighting his way back up through there, and he got spun by Ty Dillon as they were getting ready to come back up on the banking down in NASCAR turn one. So Kevin Harvick ended up finishing 17th. Ryan Blaney, a very, very underrated road course driver. Ryan, I mean, he won the race at the Roval in 2018. Granted, there was a little bit of luck, but last year, Ryan finished third at Sonoma. He got a top five at Watkins Glen. He got another top 10 finish at the Roval. So I expected Ryan to do really, really well this past Sunday at Daytona. And he was looking great early on. But the problem was Todd Gordon, I don't know what it was, but Todd Gordon decided to keep him out there towards the end of the second stage and collect those stage points instead of pitting like most cars had been doing and getting all of your track position when everyone else comes down pit road. And Sean Rosansky even said himself, he's like, he's like, why didn't Blaney come down pit road? I mean, I got some money on him. <laughs> but once again, just like his mentor and his teammate, Brad Keselowski, Ryan, you know, it was a struggle to try and get all that track position back. And sure enough, that last chicane in between turn four and on the front straightaway, Ryan blew right through it. The last lap of the race had to come to a complete stop, and he ended up finishing 31st. And for a defending NASCAR Cup Series champion, Kyle Busch, the struggles continue. The struggles continue. And he took the lead from his teammate, Denny Hamlin, two laps into the race. And Dale Earnhardt Jr. on the NBC broadcast, he even said himself, he said, I think the beginning of this race, I think Kyle definitely has an advantage and an upper leg on the field. Just the fact that he ran the 24 hours of Daytona back in January. But the one thing about Kyle Busch this year is 
He's made a lot of mistakes this year. A lot of mistakes. And Denny Hamlin blew right past him the very next lap. And Kyle, as they were going through that chicane coming off of turn four, he's, he flat spotted his tires badly. And he sure enough, he had to come down pit road and change the tires. And next thing you know, he is dead last in 39th. And he had a fast car, and he was able to fight his way all the way back up to second at one point. But he was a distant second to Chase Elliott. And as he came down pit road, he was telling Adam Stevens that the right rear brake rotor had broken. So sure enough, Adam said, he's like, well, we got to go to the garage. We got to fix it. And for whatever reason, he brings Kyle back out on the track, five, six laps down. And after... As Kyle was going onto the backstretch before the chicane, sure enough, the left rear tire blew out, and Kyle ended up spinning and hitting the wall. That erased an 11-second lead that Chase Elliott had. And I know there were some Chase Elliott fans that were saying, oh, yeah, you know, Kyle Busch, he brought out that caution just so Denny Hamlin could get a chance. Nevertheless, I don't know why Kyle Busch and Adam Stevens, I don't know why they went back out there five, six laps down, with a broken brake rotor. I mean, they had repaired it, but still, what was the point in getting back out there? So, this weekend at Dover International Speedway, tomorrow is race 24 of 36 on the 2020 NASCAR Cup Series season. Sunday is race 25. My point is, Kyle Busch, his rookie season in 2005. Kyle Busch, you know, his rookie season, that five-car Hendrick Motorsports, Alan Gustafson. It was definitely a roller coaster season. They wrecked some cars. They had some top five finishes, whether it was second at Las Vegas, fourth in his very first Pocono race. You know, they had a shot to win Michigan, the engine blew. Anyway, my point is, it wasn't until race 25, race 25 of the 2005 NASCAR Cup Series season, Labor Day weekend, California Speedway in Fontana, that Kyle Busch finally scored the first win of his NASCAR Cup Series career. So if Kyle Busch goes winless this weekend at Dover, and we all know how he seems to get caught up in a lot of wrecks at Daytona, this will be the deepest into a season in Kyle Busch's career, the deepest he has gone winless. The closest ever since that happened was, ironically, 2017, one of the best seasons of his career. He didn't win until the 21st race of the season, the July race at Pocono Raceway, but still, they were fast every weekend. They just had trouble closing races out the first half of the year. And once Kyle won, they went off on a tear. They won five races and ended up finishing second to Martin Trex Jr. in the championship. Like I said, it's definitely definitely been a disappointing season for Kyle Busch. And at this point, you have to wonder if this could be the first time in his career that he goes winless. You honestly have to wonder. And he's been a part of the championship four ever since the format was introduced in 2015. The only time that Kyle Busch was not a part of the championship four was 2014. He got knocked out of the the round of 12 and only won one race that year. And it was a lucky win at, at California Speedway in March. So as of right now, like I said, that that's... As far as I think Kyle Busch and the 18 team are going to go, I say they get knocked out of the second round of playoffs, the round of 12. Now, two weeks from now, Labor Day weekend, Darlington, South Carolina, the Southern 500, one of my, my favorite race of the year. And why is it my favorite race of the year? Because of all of the throwbacks. All of the throwbacks that the teams have for that weekend. Now, 
I have to say there are a few that have disappointed me. Brad Keselowski and Discount Tire, they're throwing it back to when they won the 2010 Nationwide Series Championship. Daniel Suarez and Eris, they're throwing it back to when he won the Xfinity Championship in 2016. You know, to me, those are, it's very bland. It's very disappointing, honestly. I understand the significance 10 years since the, the Nationwide Championship, 10 years together with Discount Tire, but it basically just looks like the regular paint scheme. But we have some awesome, awesome throwbacks for Darlington. Austin Dillon in the number three. His grandfather, Richard Childress, paying tribute to one of his heroes, Junior Johnson, who drove the number three in the early 60s, as we all remember. Sadly, Junior Johnson passed away just several days before Christmas last year at the age of 88. Beautiful-looking car. Kevin Harvick and Bush Beer, oh my God, they do not disappoint. They are throwing it back to their Bush Beer cans in 1997. That car looks freaking Beautiful. Beautiful. And it has the old NASCAR Bush Series logo on the back of it, too. And, you know, it might be the NASCAR Xfinity Series, but to me, it's still the Bush Series. It's still the Bush Series. So I love that paint scheme. Ryan Newman and Oscar Meyer, they're throwing it back to Ryan's 1999 USAC Championship. Tyler Reddick in the 8 car. Him, Caterpillar, and Richard Childress Racing. They're running Jeff Burton's Ray Bestos paint scheme from 1994 when he won Rookie of the Year. As we all remember, the 8 team used to be the 31, and Jeff Burton drove that car for many, many years. The Hendrick Motorsports trio, Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Alex Bowman, paying tribute to Jimmy Johnson. Chase running Jimmy Johnson's 2009 championship paint scheme when Jimmy became the first driver to win four consecutive NASCAR Cup Series championships. William Byron, William Byron running Jimmy's Lowe's Power of Pride 2013 all-star paint scheme that he won with. William said, you know, growing up in Charlotte and going to the racetrack and pulling for Jimmy Johnson, he said, obviously, you know, it was, it's special for him and it's special for Chad Knauss because we all forget Chad Knauss is now William Byron's crew chief. And Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman and Chevy, ChevyGoods.com, Truck Hero, they were throwing it back to Jimmy's very first NASCAR Cup Series championship in 2006. And the significance behind that was Greg Ives, who's the crew chief on the 88 car. Greg Ives was the engineer on Jimmy Johnson's 48 car when he won those five straight championships from 2006 to 2010. So very, very cool tributes by Hendrick Motorsports, but without a doubt, the coolest tribute is Jimmy Johnson himself. And he was on the Dale Jr. Download this past Tuesday, and he showed the paint scheme to Dale Earnhardt Jr. There have only been three drivers in the 71-year history of the NASCAR Cup Series that have won seven championships. The King, Richard Petty, 1964, 1967, 1971, 1972, 1974, 1975, and 1979. The late great Dale Earnhardt Sr., The Intimidator, 1980, 1986 and 87, 1990 and 91, 1993 and 1994. And Jimmy Johnson, five straight championships from 2006 to 2010, the 2013 championship, and the 2016 championship. Jimmy and Ally, they are paying tribute to the other seven-time champions. The top of Jimmy Johnson's car, it's going to be in Petty Blue and Dayglow Red, honoring Richard Petty, and the bottom of it is going to be in Black and Silver, honoring Dale Earnhardt. And Dale Earnhardt Jr., he said it himself himself, 
he said, that is so Jimmy Johnson. It's his last year. And for his throwback, he chooses to honor my father and Richard Petty, the only other seven-time champions. Obviously, it was a very emotional but very special moment for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Him and Jimmy Johnson, you know, they were teammates together at Hendrick Motorsports from 2008 to 2017. But even before that, well, well before that, they have always had a very strong friendship and have been like brothers to each other. So very, very special tribute by Jimmy Johnson to the other seven-time NASCAR Winston Cup Series champions. Now... Tony Stewart was on Sirius XM NASCAR radio the other day and he said that he feels like Kyle Larson has paid his dues and it is time for NASCAR to reinstate him and leave it up to Tony you know he's he's never been one to sugarcoat anything he said it himself he said it's time for NASCAR to get off their asses and reinstate him and sure enough Kyle Larson as we found out later that day, he has applied for reinstatement in NASCAR, but has not been granted it yet. And I agree with Tony. You know, what Kyle Larson said, obviously, you know, you, you can't take that back. But at the end of the day, Kyle Larson, I feel like he has definitely been very, very genuine and very remorseful for what he did. You know, not, not just because it cost him a ride and a job, but... I think he has definitely seen the light. I think he realizes the mistake that he has made. And he realizes, you know, it's like the old saying goes, everybody deserves a second chance. And if there is anyone willing to give Kyle Larson a second chance in NASCAR, it's definitely Tony Stewart. We all know, you know, Tony was a bit of a hothead. He had some issues here and there. But he gave Kurt Busch a second chance in 2014. You know, Kurt went through a lot after... 2011 when Roger Penske fired him because of his outburst at Miami and those two years having to drive for James Finch and Barney Visser before the 78 team became great but sure enough you just saw the genuine raw emotion out of Kurt Busch in 2014 finally back on an elite team winning at Martinsville and like I said if you know if Kurt Busch was given a second chance then Kyle Larson he sure as hell deserves a second chance could he possibly be in that 14 car at Stuart Haas Racing come 2021 like Dale Kivler has been saying for months now? It's definitely possible. But it's, you know, what happens to Clint Boyer? What happens to Chase Briscoe? Chase Briscoe is definitely ready for the NASCAR Cup Series. Corey LaJoy, it was announced yesterday, he will not be returning to the 32 team, Go Fast Racing. There has been talk that he's possibly going to take over the 37 car at JTG Doherty Racing. And it's a domino effect. So Corey LaJoy might go to the 37. Ryan Priest, he might move back down to the Xfinity Series and drive the 98 Xfinity car for Stuart Haas Racing. Chase Briscoe, if he doesn't get the 14 car, it sounds like it could be the 32 car because the 32 car and Go Fast Racing, they have an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing. So maybe have Chase Briscoe in that car for a year. And once one of those cars opens up for 2021, if you only give Eric Almirol another one-year deal, it's only a matter of time. Chase Briscoe, he deserves to be in Elite Cup equipment. He has definitely shown it this year. So it will be interesting to see what will happen moving forward. So this weekend at Dover International Speedway, five races in three days. Five races in three days starting later today for NASCAR's Top 3 Series. So later today, 5 o'clock on Fox Sports 1, we have... 
the Gander Outdoors Truck Series race. Brett Moffitt, he has drawn the pole. Sure enough, my pick. You know, him, Chad Norris, that number 23 Chevy Silverado team, they've been getting closer and closer. I thought for sure he was going to win this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course. Ended up finishing second to his teammate Sheldon Creed. And then tomorrow at Dover International Speedway, 1230 on NBCSN, the first of two NASCAR Xfinity Series races for the weekend. Sure enough, Austin Sindrick, he is on the pole. Obviously, that is my pick for the first Xfinity race. And then 4 o'clock on NBCSN, the first of two NASCAR Cup Series races this weekend at Dover International Speedway, the Drydeen 311. Yeah, 311. So Dover is a one-mile racetrack, and I guess 311, 312 miles, apparently that's what equates to 500 kilometers. I know, I'm, I'm just as confused as you guys are. But the Drydeen 311, both Saturday and Sunday, as I said, 4 o'clock on NBCSN tomorrow, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen with the call. And obviously, with this being doubleheader weekends for the Xfinity Series and the NASCAR Cup Series... Obviously, the the top 15 finishers in Xfinity and the top 20 finishers in the NASCAR Cup Series, they will be inverted come Sunday for the starting lineup in both of those races. So Chase Elliott, obviously, with that dominant win on the Daytona road course, he is on the pole for tomorrow's race at Dover International Speedway. And real quick, here is your top 10 starting lineup. For tomorrow's NASCAR Cup Series race at Dover International Speedway, as I said, Chase Elliott, he is on the pole. He has one NASCAR Cup Series win at Dover, October of 2018. Denny Hamlin will start second. Believe it or not, Denny Hamlin has never won at Dover International Speedway in the Cup Series. He does have two Bush Series wins there, but no Cup Series wins. This, obviously, the year he's having, this could be the weekend that he breaks that drought. Ironically, Denny did finish second to Chase Elliott in that October 2018 race. Martin Trex Jr., he will start third. Three wins at one of his home racetracks, June of, 20, June of 2007, the very first win of his career and the very last cup win for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. He did win there in October of 2016, driving the 78 car for Furniture Row, and he is the defending winner of Saturday's race. This was supposed to be the May race. It was supposed to be run on May 3rd because of COVID-19. Martin won that race last year, sure enough, on a Monday, just like his very first cup win in 2007. Clint Boyer, fourth. Two Bush Series wins at Dover. Joey Logano, he rounds out the top five. Four consecutive Nationwide Series wins at Dover from June of 2012 to September of 2013. Jimmy Johnson, 11 wins at Dover International Speedway. He will start sixth. Brad Keselowski, 7th. He does have a Cup Series win there, September of 2012, less than two months before winning that championship. And he also has a nationwide win there in May of 2009, driving for Dale Earnhardt Jr. William Byron, he will start 8th. Kurt Busch, ninth. He did win there in the fall of 2011. That was his last win with Team Penske. And Kevin Harvick rounding out the top 10. Kevin does have two wins at Dover, the fall race of 2015 and the spring race of 2018. So, speaking of Kevin Harvick, he could clinch the regular season championship for the NASCAR Cup Series either tomorrow or Sunday. So, what needs to happen in order for Kevin Harvick to clinch the regular season championship and the 15 playoff points that come along with it? 
If Kevin Harvick has a 121-point lead over second-place Denny Hamlin in the championship after tomorrow's race, that will clinch the regular season championship. But if not, if he has a 61-point lead over second place after Sunday's race, sure enough, that will clinch the regular season championship. And obviously, with this being a doubleheader weekend, the other thing that we have to remember is no burnouts for the winner of either the Xfinity race or the Cup Series race tomorrow. You can't change engines, transmissions, brakes. You can't go to a backup car. You do any of that. You have to start at the back of the field on Sunday. And this will be the final year that Dover will hold at least two cup races. As we all know by now, the beginning of June, Nashville Super Speedway, they did announce that they will be added to the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series schedule. And sure enough, Dover is losing their spring date. So as of right now, the rumor is that the inaugural NASCAR Cup Series race at Nashville Super Speedway, supposedly it could be held on Father's Day 2021. Bob Pockris from Fox Sports said that Dover's lone NASCAR Cup Series date for 2021, it will take place either Sunday, <clears throat> excuse me, Sunday, May 16th, or Sunday, May 23rd, which is usually All-Star Week, but hey, as great as the All-Star Race was at Bristol Motor Speedway, I don't know if the All-Star Race is ever coming back to Charlotte, if you ask me. So with this being the last year that Dover will have at least two NASCAR Cup Series races, here is my favorite moment, best moments in Dover International Speedway history. May of 1984, Richard Petty, scoring the 199th win of his career less than two months before his record 200 and final win of his career, which came on the 4th of July at Daytona with President Ronald Reagan in attendance. May of 1987, rookie Davey Allison at the track that his father Bobby won at seven times, Davey became the first rookie in NASCAR Winston Cup Series history to score at least two wins in his rookie season. June of 1989, Dale Earnhardt Sr., a career day for him, the most laps he ever led in a NASCAR Cup Series race, he led 456 out of 500 laps that day. Dale would go on to sweep both Dover races in 1989. September 1991, 51-year-old Harry Gant, that's right, 51 years old, handsome Harry, scoring the third of what would be four consecutive wins in the month of September, the Southern 500, the first Saturday night race of Richmond, Dover, and the streak would extend to Martinsville the following week. June of 1993, Dale Earnhardt, for the second week in a row, overcoming a two-lap deficit to win. The week before, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte, he spun Greg Sachs out, got a two-lap penalty for it, still came back to win. The Dover race in June, he had a flat tire early on, went two laps down, still went on to win the race. Dale Earnhardt, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> June of 1995, the very first race on the concrete at Dover International Speedway, a massive pileup, Two laps into the race, taking out over half the field, Kyle Petty, who started 37th on the field that day, would go on to score the eighth and final win of his NASCAR Cup Series career. September 1996, Jeff Gordon, to no surprise, he dominated, he won the race, but plenty of fights, plenty of tempers that day. Jimmy Spencer going after Wally Dollenbach, Michael Waltrip and Kyle Petty arguing with each other after the race was over. 1997, that was a bit of a transition year for Dover. 
the June race was the last 500-mile race there. I know that was a relief for a lot of drivers and fans because sometimes that race would take five hours. Ricky Rudd won that race, and the September race, the first 400-mile race at Dover, that was won by Mark Martin. September 1998, Bill Elliott having to leave the track after his father George passed away. Matt Kenseth making his NASCAR Cup Series debut in Bill Elliott's number 94 McDonald's Ford, finishing sixth. Sixth. Sure enough, his mentor, Mark Martin, went on to win the race. Now, we all remember where we were September 11th, 2001. We all remember where we were when we found out about the terrorist attacks and the planes hitting the World Trade Center and, of course, the Pentagon and Pennsylvania. NASCAR's very first race back was September 23rd at Dover. And what an amazing pre-race that was. Lee Greenwood singing God Bless the USA. I still get chills every time I hear that song. And just the crowd chanting, USA, USA. Three laps into the race, all year long, they had been doing the lap three tribute in memory of Dale Earnhardt Sr. But sure enough, they added the tribute to everyone that had perished on September 11th. And how fitting, Dale Earnhardt Jr., who carried the sport on his shoulders for 16 years, but especially 2001, just seven months after losing his father at the Daytona 500, he goes on to lead 193 laps and win the race and take the American flag with him for a Polish victory lap around the track. And Dale Jr. told Bill Weber on NBC that day in victory lane, he said, it felt good to be back in the race car and I'm proud to be the guy to wave that American flag around the track. That same day up in Michigan, a 17-year-old kid who was a senior in high school by the name of Brad Keselowski watched that race with his parents, Bob and Kay Keselowski, and he was so inspired by what his future boss, Dale Jr., would do, taking that American flag with him around the track for a victory lap. And Brad said that day, right then and there, he said, if I ever make it in the NASCAR Cup Series, I want that to be my victory celebration. How special is that? September of 2002, the very first NASCAR race I went to with my dad. And it was looking like Dale Jr. was going to win the fall race for the second year in a row at Dover. He dominated the first half of that race. But as luck would have it, he ended up having two flat tires. And at one point, I was 12 years old. At one point, there was a guy sitting next to us. And he let me listen to Dale Jr. Scanner as they were running around under caution and he cussed out his uncle Tony Senior and his cousin Tony Jr. and Goodyear about the tire that they had brought and about the racetrack because he hated concrete racetracks. My dad and I, we listened to it and we were laughing hysterically. Hysterically. <laughs> Obviously, I can't even repeat some of the things I heard Dale Jr. say on his radio, but oh my God, it was so funny. Jimmy Johnson in his rookie season at what has been his best racetrack, he goes on to sweep Dover in 2002. June 2004, the 60th anniversary of D-Day, Bobby Labonte, that beautiful camouflage car that he had, massive pileup towards the end of the race, taking out almost half the field. Casey Kane looking like he was well on his way to his first NASCAR Cup Series win. He slides in some oil that Casey Mears had let down. 
Casey spins going into turn three and hit the wall really, really hard. Thankfully, he was okay. Mark Martin ends up breaking a two-year winless streak. September of 2005, Jimmy Johnson holding off rookie teammate Kyle Busch for the win. And Rick Hendrick wasn't there that day. He was sick. And he joked afterwards, he said he felt really sick because he was worried that Kyle Busch was going to wreck Jimmy and take each other out. (laughs) June of 2006, Jamie McMurray, his first year at Roush, looking like he was going to get his first win with with the team. And his teammate Matt Kenseth passed him with less than two laps to go. And in the fall race, it looked like Matt was going to sweep Dover. And he runs out of gas with just seven laps to go. And his former Roush teammate, Jeff Burton, was there to take advantage breaking a five-year winless streak, and scoring his first win with Richard Childress Racing. Like I talked about in 2007, Martin Trex Jr. scoring the first win of his career, the final win for Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. And I went to Dover again, September of 2008, with my sister Jill. We saw an excellent battle towards the end, those last 10 laps. Roush teammates, Greg Biffle, Matt Kenseth, and Carl Edwards Greg passing Matt Kenseth with less than 10 laps to go and holding on for the win. And like I said, just so many, so many great moments at Dover. You know, Tony Stewart passing Juan Pablo Montoya in 2013 with less than five laps to go. Jimmy Johnson holding off Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the fall race that year, who was on fresher tires. So many crazy moments, so many crazy moments. And then going again in June of 2017 and seeing Jimmy Johnson tie his childhood hero, Cale Yarbrough, for 83 career wins on the NASCAR Cup Series. And I went there that day with with Jill as well. And (laughs) the funny thing is, I go back and I watch the end of that race as Jimmy Johnson takes the checkered flag under caution. And Jeff Gordon says, yeah, he's like, this is Jimmy's 11th win at Dover. He has a lot of fans here. And as Jeff says, he has a lot of fans here. You see a guy near the flag stand, giving Jimmy Johnson double barrels, giving him both middle fingers. <laughs> the fall race that year, Chase Elliott looking like he was going to score the first win of his career, and Kyle Busch passed him with two laps to go. And the fall race in 2018, I went there with Josh Manley. Kevin Harvick, he dominated the day. He had to come down pit road for a loose wheel. Brad Keselowski, it was looking like he could have scored the first win of, or I was going to say it looked like he was going to win the race. And Chase Elliott passed him, and not too long after that, not too long after that, Eric Almirola, he ended up wrecking himself and Brad Keselowski. That sent the race into overtime. Brad Keselowski, Eric Almirola, Alex Bowman, they all piled in, pretty much ruined any chance Brad had of making it to the round of eight for the playoffs. And Chase Elliott goes on to win the race. Obviously, the crowd went nuts that day. And those are some of the best Dover moments. So as I said... Two races, Saturday, 4 o'clock on NBCSN. Martin Trex Jr., he is the defending winner of that race. Sunday's race as well. Sunday, the Xfinity Series, they will be back at it. Their second race of the weekend, that will be on NBCSN at 1 o'clock. And the second NASCAR Cup Series race of the weekend, 4 o'clock on NBCSN. Just like Saturday, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Steve Letarte, Jeff Burton, and Rick Allen with the call. And ironically, the defending winner of Sunday's race, which was the fall race at Dover last year, it was Kyle Larson. So how crazy is that? Kyle Larson will not be there to defend his Dover win. So just a quick recap, Brett Moffitt, my pick for this evening's truck series race at Dover, 
For tomorrow, I am picking Austin Sendrick for the first Xfinity Series race. So, obviously, I'm going to give my pick here in just a little bit for the first Cup Series race. But obviously, how can we not forget this Sunday? It's August, but still, the Indianapolis 500. It's going to feel so weird. It's not the day before Memorial Day. The fans aren't allowed at the track. It definitely feels so weird, but so many storylines, so many storylines going into the Indianapolis 500. Marco Andretti, Mario's grand, grandson, Michael's son, on the pole for the Indianapolis 500. How huge is that? And Andretti on the pole at Indy. We all know that his grandfather, Mario, he won the, the Indianapolis 500 in 1969. His father, Michael, tried for years and years and years to win the Indianapolis 500 as a driver, but he would either finish second or something would break. As we all know, the good old Andretti curse. And what a moment that was, Marco Andretti, this past Sunday, winning the pole for the Indianapolis 500. You know, and it's been 33 years since his grandfather, Mario, was on the pole for the Indianapolis 500. Michael never was on the pole for the Indianapolis 500, but he has won the Indianapolis 500 as a car owner. It's just like Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart tried for years and years and years to win the Daytona 500, could never win it as a driver. But sure enough, his very first race after he retired and became a car owner, I mean, he already was a car owner, but a full-time car owner, Kurt Busch wins the Daytona 500. How ironic. Scott Dixon, the amazing run that he has been on, the 2008 Indianapolis 500 champion, he will start second. Takuma Sato, the 2017 Indianapolis 500 champion, he will start third. Ryan Hunter Ray, 2014 Indianapolis 500 champion, he will start fifth. Alexander Rossi, your 2016 Indianapolis 500 champion, he will start ninth. Graham Rahal, whose father Bobby won it in 1986, he's starting eighth. And the amazing thing is the Penske Chevrolets, the highest qualified Penske car, is Joseph Newgarden all the way back in 13th, our defending series champion. Will Power, the 2018 champion, he is starting 18th, or excuse me, starting 22nd. Tony Kanon. The 2013 Indianapolis 500 champion in what could be his final Indianapolis 500, as far as I know, Saturday next weekend, Gateway International Raceway in St. Louis, as far as I know, that is going to be Tony Kanaan's final race. Tony will start 23rd. And his best friend growing up, Elio Castroneves, a three-time Indianapolis 500 champion. 2001, 2002, 2009, Elio is starting all the way back in 28th. And I know that the Penske cars, I know they didn't qualify all that well, and it's looking like it could be a Honda day, but obviously you can never count them out. So my pick for the Indianapolis 500, I've thought pretty long and hard about it. It would be so great to see an Andretti win at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But to me, I mean, Marco Andretti, he has come close several times in the Indianapolis 500. I just, just don't see it happening. Scott Dixon is on an absolute terror this year. Like I said, he won this race in 2008. He won the very first three races of the 2020 IndyCar Series season. So that's my pick. I feel like come Sunday, Scott Dixon will become a two-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. So now the moment y'all have been waiting for. Who is my pick for tomorrow's first race of the weekend at Dover International Speedway for the NASCAR Cup Series? So... 
This guy has been great at Dover throughout his career, even before he came to the Cup Series. Sure enough, the very first top five finish of his career in the Truck Series, it came at Dover when he was only 17 years old. His championship season in the Nationwide Series in 2014, top five finishes in both Dover races, and when he came to the Cup Series in 2016, he finished in the top five in his first four Dover races. He has a win there. October of 2018, he won this past Sunday at the Daytona Road Course. He is on the pole. You guessed it. Chase Elliott is my pick to go to Victory Lane tomorrow, the first race of the weekend at Dover International Speedway. So that's going to do it for episode 18 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Be sure to tell everybody about the Jake's Take podcast page on Facebook. Click that like button. Now, there might be a show tomorrow night. I don't know. Taking a little vacation this weekend. But nevertheless, if there isn't a show, I will still give my pick for the Sunday races at some point tomorrow evening. So just have to wait and see. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.